Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Washed Up Has Been podcast. Alec the Avocado Martinez here, joined by my co-host, the man Tyler Gibson. Tyler, how you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing pretty good. Ready to ready to get some fantasy football talk going. Uh, just getting excited. Hopefully, uh, we can get this season going without any hiccups. Yeah, we had our. Uh, we'll be seeing you guys every Tuesday uh, in the off season. We might. Bump it up a little bit whenever the regular season starts. Hopefully get you guys two to three times a week. But you know, last week we talked a lot about uh, who we who we like at certain positions and certain battles. We're going to do a little bit, turn things a little bit on their head this week. We're going to talk about something that me and Tyler ourselves are very interested in and have just gotten into. And we think that a lot of fantasy owners should be looking at, especially under their current circumstances and that's doing a dynasty league uh this is this year's tyler and i's first time participating in a dynasty league but we we have uh been doing some dynasty research for quite some time now it's just time for us finally to to start a league before we get there though some news and notes around the league start with the big news Uh, right after i um talked talked him up last week debo brown i'm sorry debo samuel breaks his foot He's going to be missing 8 to 12 weeks, I think is what it is. Might be ready for week one. Highly unlikely. There's a statistic out there that, that people with this kind of injury, when they return before the, the 12-week mark, they typically have a really low output and performance. Well, and they've got – this is the type of injury that's at a higher risk of re-injury. Um, so – the chances of him coming back, because basically that timetable puts him right at week, week one. one. Right. So the chances of him coming back right at week one without well, and, having and any work kind, before that. And you the know, kind really. of player he is. I mean, Debo's a yards after catch guy. He's the kind of guy you want the explosiveness. The, yes, the ball in his hands and let him make moves, make people miss, you know, burst through the, the hole. But he can't do that efficiently with the, the foot injury. Which means there's going to be some players stepping up. Kendrick Bourne might have an opportunity who at one point looked pretty good last year. Trent Taylor, uh, a name that gets forgotten on that offense. Uh, but I think the most two most obvious names that have been dropped are Brandon Ayuk and Jalen Hurd. Yeah, I mean, I think we just need to remember. I mean, it's still going to be a run-first offense. I don't know that there's anybody that I'm rushing to get just because of this. I mean, I do think that it really, you know, it, it does – help the outlook on Ayuk and uh, could potentially help get some steam behind, you know, the Jalen Hurd um, hype train if he can get that back going. But, uh, I mean, really, you know, it, it this offense is still going to do what they're going to do, um, and then they'll just wait for wait for him to get back. And it's not going to be an extended enough period of time to really alter anybody's entire season. And both those guys are yards after catch guys. Ayuk is, uh, you know, graded out really well as a returner, return man and – at the JUCO level and returned one at, at Arizona State, which just normally translates to good uh, yards after catch and uh, you know open field uh, running. So and then and then Jalen Hurd's a former running back turned receiver, and so both of these guys are uh, great with the ball in their hands. So I, I don't know that either one is going to take the Debo role, but I think that they'll both increase in targets. I think it bumps. To me, it makes Jalen Hurd draftable late. Uh, I think before this in redrafts, he wasn't draftable. He was a, a definitely a waiver wire guy, and I think it pushes Ayuk maybe from the double digit rounds into the ninth, eighth, 
if you're you're that high on him. Um, but I, I think it does help them a, a little bit. In terms of, of receiving, um, do you think it has any effect on George Kittle? Um, well, I mean, he's the main receiving threat there, with or without Debo, really. So, I mean, uh, it, it doesn't hurt him. I mean, you know, he's a matchup nightmare. He, he's, he's not really going to have issues with them moving extra coverage to him, really. I don't – I don't foresee it. I mean, and uh, like I said, I mean, it should be a short enough time frame to where, you know, we're not going to see any lasting impact on anybody's fantasy season. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Kittle will have – I don't think it will have any effect on Kittle. He's not going to lose any targets, and he's not – I mean, at this point, he can't really gain any targets. I don't – so I don't see it having any effect on Kittle. It could have effect on Des Bryant. <laughs> yes, yeah, his main way of flirting uh, with teams these days is tweeting eyeballs at him. And uh, that's what he did to the 49ers. Kendrick Bourne and Raheem Mostert seem to enjoy it, which if I'm Kendrick Bourne, I don't want Dez there. That's, <laughs> that's hurting his opportunity to make the team. It could be um, entertaining. but uh. It could be. But So Dez Bryant and then another uh, receiver out of the league that could be very interesting if he were to get back into the league, and that's uh, Tyler. You, you have shares of this guy. You love this guy. Antonio Brown, uh, the Seahawks and the Ravens have both had internal talks about signing him. You you love Antonio Brown, so what are your thoughts on him? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, he's not he's really uh, he's really not a guy that I've had a lot of shares of in the in the past uh, in his best years. Just here, most recently in his worst years, uh, when when the value's been there, I've I've never really been a Antonio Brown guy in the first round type of dude um, when he had that you know five or six year stretch, which maybe I should have been, uh, but. You know, I, I had him last year when I got him in the uh, sec, the end of the second round, beginning of the third in one of our leagues. And Appreciate then, uh, you for that. Yeah, yeah. Alec and I had a pretty uh, interesting trade there that I guess it ended up working out for me in the long run since I won that league and and against beat, him yeah, in the championship. But uh, it was in spite of uh, missing my second round pick, Antonio Brown, all season. But, uh, yeah, I've got him in a dynasty league, so it'd be a nice little uh, boost to the team uh, if I could get him on there. Maybe uh, maybe just ship him off immediately or give me room to move somebody else for some other pieces that I could use. We, we actually didn't talk about that. Uh, we haven't had a podcast since that happened. Tyler did win the championship in the Washed Up Hasbins League, and I the reason that I lost, and I'm going to get to this later today, is because my quarterback, Russell Wilson, decided to put up a goose egg week 16 against the Arizona Cardinals. There was a lot of factors for yeah, Alex. Chris Carson I mean, got Mixon hurt. Mixon stopped his incredible run uh, there at the end of the season. It was rough. But anyway, uh, what I was going to say is that I, I don't think – if Antonio Brown does come back, let's say he does sign with the Ravens or the Seahawks, I, I don't – I hate him going to either one of those places. I don't think that he's fantasy – you can't say a guy like Antonio Brown's not going to be fantasy relevant, but he, he's he's not going to be somebody that I that I think about putting in my starting spot. Sure. If he's neither, a flex neither player, one of those, maybe? neither one of those situations scream you know wide receiver one right off the bat to you or anything. I mean, you know, the Ravens still a very run heavy team. He likes to use his tight ends. Um, you know, I mean, the AB across from. Hollywood would be a beautiful thing to see, um, not just because they're related, but you know, just two incredible talents there. And uh, in in Seattle, you know, I mean, 
DK had 100 targets last year. You know, you got Tyler Lockett there. I mean, Russell Wilson's a guy that can make stuff happen, and Antonio Browns is a guy that can get open for sure. It, it, both of them would be fun, but uh, for fantasy, you know, uh, might be more exciting to watch happen than it would be uh, league-winning capabilities. Yeah. I, I think if he goes to Seattle, it's, it's he might get – 60 targets this year. Well, we maybe. saw Josh Gordon there. You know, he could make a catch or two here. And they're completely different players. Um, you know, and obviously we've heard Russell Wilson lobby for them to consider bringing in Antonio Brown before. Andy's been, you know, working out with Geno Smith. Um, so, you know, there's some there's a couple threads linking him to each one of those here and there. But, uh, I mean, until we until he gets reinstated and we figure out if he's going to have any punishment or not, you know, it's don't get your hopes up too much. Yeah. A guy you just mentioned is also in the news. Josh Gordon applied for officially applied for reinstatement. Uh, If he comes back, you know, I think we would all agree he's probably not going to be with Seattle. Uh, So we'd start looking around the league. I think there's a few landing spots for a guy like him uh, with his kind of speed. I have Josh Gordon in, in dynasty. He's, Currently, uh, because of suspension, I can I can keep him in my IR spot, but I'd like to see him fall to somebody you know that you know like the Jets or um, maybe even uh, maybe even the Ravens. Um, but you know, one of these where they can use his speed and, and his uh, immense talent. Do you have any anything I mean, on Josh? He Gordon? is still only like twenty nine or something like that right now. Um, I'll just say, man, you know. Towards the end of this last run, you know, and I don't know if it's just, you know, his lack of usage or just getting bumped out to Seattle, you know, and just not being an integral part of the offense. But, you know, I mean, he just didn't didn't quite look like the old Josh Gordon. So, you know, uh, it'd be, you know, it's, it's, it's tough for me to really envision him coming back, obviously, apart from just not being suspended or kicked out of the league, you know, anymore. But, you know, to come back and really have a lasting impact anywhere. Yeah. Last piece of news, uh, Dak Prescott uh, signed his franchise tender. Us Cowboys fans are happy to hear that. I, I, to an extent, I'm, I'm glad it's certain he'll play this year. But for, from our perspective, we obviously would like to see a long-term deal get done now before Watson or, or Mahomes sign their deal. Well, yeah, I've been on the record saying, uh, I mean, right now, him playing on the franchise tag, I think, is a lose-lose for the Cowboys because either the Cowboys, quote-unquote, win by proving themselves right that maybe Dak doesn't deserve the long-term contract, and really then you just lose because you have to start looking for a quarterback again, or you lose by him punking you again and playing his ass off, and then maybe Mahomes and Watson got got a deal done too, and... Now Dak costs you even more. Um, so I think they're just going to have to get him on the four-year deal. They've got until July 15th. I'd like to see him get a long-term deal done, which is good for dynasty owners too because you don't want to deal with Dak just going to the highest bidder, which is usually not a good team. Right. Uh, so that'll do it for news this week in the NFL. Not much going on. We're still uh, – some COVID talk coming up here and there. Me and Tyler aren't going to give – you know, delve too much into that. We're just going to be naive and say that no matter what, football starting on time. Roger Goodell said he still expects football to start on time. And for once, I'm going to go and trust Roger Goodell and <laughs> the word that he puts out. So uh, football, in my mind, in my eyes, is starting on time. And that's the way that we're going to um, we're gonna view it. So me and Tyler, we we talked about that this week, about, about Dynasty and about uh, – 
just how little it's talked about sometimes. And then right now where we're at in the off season, now is the time to be talking about dynasty. You're not quite to your, uh, having your redrafts. You're still about a month or two away from that. So, uh, we just wanted to give you a little dynasty strategy just from stuff we've picked up uh, from talking to other players that have been playing dynasty for a long time from different podcasts and, and different guys who we read and uh, you know, just kind of our take on dynasty, you know, let Tyler open it up. Cause I know he's really excited. Uh, but Tyler, what we, you know, we're, we're just some, some dynasty strategies you want to share. Well, I mean, as you probably know, dynasty, uh, implies uh quite a long lasting um you know note to it whenever you whenever you use that and so what it is is you're keeping your team year over year um it's like a amped up keeper league uh you really need to focus on uh, a lot more factors than you normally have to take into account for your standard redraft leagues or even a keeper league uh cuz I mean you need to take into account age shelf life of position contract situations things of that nature just all sorts of outside factors that could impact this player's value and you just really don't want to be a day late to moving an asset that you should have moved yeah i think the the biggest thing for me is that you mentioned that gets overlooked sometimes the shelf life of positions uh it changes the way that you view certain players for example Wide receivers in Dynasty League are typically more valuable than running backs because wide receivers have a longer shelf life. Rather, you know, the window these days for a running back to be in their prime is, you know, 23 to 28, 27, whereas a receiver's prime goes anywhere from 24, 25 to 32. And there's just way more variables with running backs in terms of their workload and the you know the, the beating that their bodies take, so you've got more risk of injury and just really – they can be finicky. And same goes if you can find a, a, a franchise quarterback or a quarterback who – a good example, Matthew Stafford. If you got Matthew Stafford back when he was a rookie, you've had a competent quarterback for 10-plus years now. Yeah. And so, yes, Matthew Stafford hasn't always been uh, amazing, but Matthew Stafford was in a position where he would be a consistent starter. To me, it's kind of a – what could possibly be like a Sam Darnold situation. If Sam Darnold were to have a good year this year, not great but good, and just you knew like, okay, well, Sam Darnold's going to continue to be the quarterback in New York. And that's kind of you know how you have to view some of these guys. That's why you might put a guy like Sam Darnold or even Baker Mayfield ahead of uh, some of these other guys who might have a higher ceiling. Uh, but because they're secure and you know they're going to be a starting quarterback for a while, you go ahead and lock that position in. So just some uh, – those are some simple dynasty strategies. Uh, the way that normal – if you did – we did a dynasty startup this, this year, which means basically you do a full redraft. We have 27 players mm-hmm. on our roster. The range is anywhere from 27 to 30 if you're – you know, Tyler, I'll let you speak to this because Tyler is the commissioner. But there's some different variables when setting up the league. Uh, that might be a little bit different from a redraft or a keeper league. Maybe, Tyler, you can touch on those a little bit. Yeah, uh, one thing that's really popular with Dynasty Leagues is obviously Superflex, which in essence is a two-quarterback league. Um, It allows you to use one of your flex positions to start a quarterback, but you also, you know, if you happen to not, you know, load up on quarterback like maybe you wanted to or maybe it's part of your strategy and uh, you don't have to start two quarterbacks every week. Um, 
And then tight end premium is another one, which we didn't do in ours, but it's one way to bring value to the tight end position for everybody where tight ends will typically, like we're doing a half PPR league, you know, maybe the tight end position would be a full point per reception in our, in our situation. But there's some leagues that are full PPR for everything else and uh, tight ends might get two points per reception in uh, tight end premium for those. And so, you know, typically in Dynasty, you have obviously way more roster spots in general, but your starting lineup can be anywhere from eight to ten players usually, which is more. And, and, and usually there's not kickers or defense in, in the Dynasty. I know ours doesn't. I think also, and this is something that I wanted to ask you, just how, how are your thoughts on in a super flex league devalue? Like obviously that, that sets the quarterback value pretty high, but maybe do you, uh, balancing that out a little bit by making passing touchdowns worth four points rather than five or six. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, they they are worth uh, four points in our league. Um, just because, I mean, you know, you have such a everybody, every quarterback in the league is going to be used. I mean, we've got 12, 12 teams in this league. Um, that's twenty four quarterbacks that should be getting started every week, and then that leaves pretty much two-thirds of the league that don't even have a backup quarterback um, situation. Unless you're in my case, and I stand by, and I, I will I will die on this hill, that you do not have to have two quarterbacks in a super flex league to win. I did make a trade that got me another quarterback, but there was more to that, and I, I it was not only to get another quarterback. It also was Baker Mayfield, and Tyler, you know how I feel about Baker. I love Baker to death, so... Play with my heartstrings a little bit, but I do stand by that you do not have to have two quarterbacks in a super flex league to win. It does lean more in your favor if you do. Well, we'll but see. I think, we'll see how it plays out. Um, I think that every team that makes the playoffs, and we only have four teams out of the twelve that make the playoffs in this league, but I think every team that makes the playoffs will be starting two quarterbacks on a consistent basis. Well, to stay with the trend of dynasty, what me and Tyler decided to do is we're going to give you. Kind of our three favorite guys at each position that – I'll tell you the way I viewed it. Maybe Tyler viewed this a little bit differently. The way I viewed it is I'm looking at three guys at each position that I could essentially see on my team almost at the same time. Like guys that for different reasons uh, have – whether it's because of the value that I can get them, whether it's their age, whether it's their situation, whether it's just the ceiling that they have or the talent that they have that I want that guy on my team – Whatever it may be, these are guys at the positions that stand out to us that, hey, they're, they're attainable. And, you know, because I'm not going to tell you, we're not going to get on here and say, okay, you want CMC, Saquon, and Zeke. Like, we, know, we know Pat Mahomes is good. Um, you know, so a, the way I looked at this, it's kind of a, you know, I, I kind of have a, a, a few different type of guys that I, that I included on my list here. But, you know, it's, it ranges from guys that are values to guys that I think are going to outperform their projections or where the public views them right now. So maybe their projections uh, reflect more what they should be based off of, you know, pros who are statting this stuff out. But their ADPs are still low. Um, compared to where, you know, I think maybe they'll finish. So it's, it's a combination of things. You know, maybe guys that you could get, um, you could make trades for if you're already in a dynasty league. You know, maybe guys that, you know, might be flying under the radar in terms of their ceiling right now, and you could go get them uh, for a pretty good deal. Yeah, and, and remember, this is for dynasty. So 
yes, you might be you might be looking at some of these guys in a dynasty startup, but also these are guys you can attain in a trade, and you might look to. You know, there's a lot of movement in dynasty drafts, and it's an all year type of thing in most cases. Some people freeze it uh, for a certain period of time in the off season, but these are guys that should be attainable in your league without costing you an arm and a leg in most cases. Um, but but that's also just a, another way to view some of these guys. It's not just hey. You know, yes, we're gonna we're going to reference ADPs a lot, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're just talking about where they're being drafted. But that kind of stands to represent their value in the yeah, league. Yeah, that that kind of shows what the public in general where they stand on these players. So if I reference ADP for this, it's not because I'm talking about in a specific draft here. I'm just saying generally this person is viewed as you know wide receiver 50 and i i think they're going to be closer to being able to be a high-end wide receiver three or something you know all right well tyler i'm gonna let you jump into it first tyler just want to ask first where where do you primarily get your adps from well for this particular circumstance i used sleeper um which is not going to be the uh, the most accurate in terms of they're free to do mock drafts and you know it's it's taking a lot of stuff into account right now and uh, specifically for rookies or things of that nature you know things won't have balanced out to where they will eventually end up but I'm not referencing too many rookies on this yeah I think uh, for. And I just asked that because I, I want to just get it out there. There's a lot of good tools out there. Fantasy Pros has their consensus rankings mm-hmm. that are really good. Uh, Fantasy Footballers <clears throat> has the UDK that I'm, I'm a really big fan of. There's just a lot. And to me, it's good to take in from everywhere. Me and Tyler talk often about the different podcasts we listen to just to help get a all-around good uh, outlook on on how we feel about some of these players. So just wanted to, to offer you guys some some other tools besides just our podcast mm-hmm. uh, to help you uh, get a step ahead in your in your fantasy league. So Tyler, kick us off here with uh, – we're going to start with the quarterback department, so we're both going to give three quarterbacks that uh, we're big fans of. And so, Tyler, if you want to go there. Yeah, uh, well, two of the guys on my list are guys that I have currently or formerly had on my dynasty roster, which is – funny just because we just started it so I mean there's lots of moves to be made um one of the guys is Matt Ryan um now for dynasty purposes I was able to get him relatively late in terms of what I you know what I think his ceiling is and you know how long I think that he's still going to play um you know on the surface he's 35 years old um but he's the perfect type of quarterback that we see play you know, into their late 30s, up close to 40. I mean, there's not a ton that have done it really, but that's becoming more and more the trend. And he's the safe type of quarterback that has the healthy pass that I could see playing for another three, four years at an elite level. Um, That being said, this year, um, just looking at his ADP, he's going at the very back end of QB1. Um, He had a down year last year, which we all kind of knew was going to happen just based off of uh, his uh, trends here going every other year. Um, But uh, yeah, I think he finished quarterback 17 last year. This year, I mean, if you can get him as the 12th quarterback off the board, uh, I mean, he's going to return the value on that every day. I mean, uh, he's got a high scoring division that he's in with Drew Brees and now Tom Brady in there. 
Uh, he's got to face the Panthers, which they don't just suck. Um, they're going to put up some points, and he's going to be able to do that. Um, so not only just playing each of those teams twice a year, but he also gets to play the Cowboys this year. He's going to play the Chiefs this year. He's going to play the uh, Packers this year, I think. Uh, it really looks good for Matt Ryan in terms of potential shootout games and a bounce back this year to get back into that top five uh, fantasy quarterback conversation for this season. So I think that he's a guy that if somebody, you know, maybe didn't quite pay attention to the trends or doesn't buy into it and think that, well, he's just going over the hill because he had a down, had down year last year, he could be attainable um, and still give you a championship window for your dynasty team. Um, my, another guy on my list, Gardner Minshew. He's being drafted at about quarterback 29, which is about as cheap as you can go. Um, that's undrafted in redraft leagues. Um, so in a two-quarterback league, I mean, you're talking about a rotational guy, and uh, that's what I had him for on my team. Um, I mean, he's he's a guy that pace, on pace, if he would have started every game last year, would have broken uh, Baker Mayfield's rookie touchdown record. Um, he showed a good rapport with DJ Chark, and DJ Chark is a guy that um, a lot of people are high on. Um, I just they, they drafted LaVisca Chenault. I think that this is a guy that's going to give you solid higher-end QB2 play. Um, you know, you could see him finish in the around 15 or so maybe. Um, and, uh, you know, he can give you quarterback one performances on a, on any given week. So. Well, I'm a big fan of of Gardner Minshew, and I think he's really underrated. I think one thing that stands out about Gardner Minshew, I mean, the guy had 344 rushing yards last year. And, yes. and I know that's not a, a lot, but that's a, it, it tells me two things. One, he can make things happen. And you, if you watched him play, it was incredible to watch him it's, make things happen with fun. his feet. Yeah. And then, two, it means that he's going to get you a, a, a point, you know, a couple points more uh, with his legs, and he had no rushing touchdowns last year. And a guy with 345, you know, if you, you add in his other games that he missed. How many games was that in? I think, he, I think he only played, what, 14 games last year, 15 games? Maybe. And so you you got to think that uh, you, you can get his rushing yards up to 400, 420. I don't have it all statted out in front mm-hmm. of me, but 400 to 420 rushing yards, he's going to have two or three rushing touchdowns. Yeah. And, and I think that his, you know, last year, 21 and 6, is an attainable is more, you know, I think you could see him hitting somewhere between twenty seven and twenty eight touchdowns yeah. in the air, three four more on the ground, and this is a guy who's going undrafted. I'm I'm really high on Gardner Minshew, so I'm with you on that one. Twenty three years old, I think. So another guy, a guy I want to look at that I'm that I'm really high on uh, for dynasty is Daniel Jones, twenty three years old. And everybody wants to point to his turnovers. That's <laughs> fumbles. Yeah, to, on pace for twenty three fumbles. He was also on pace to also break Baker Mayfield's passing touchdown record. Yeah. Daniel Jones has has had one of the best uh, rookie seasons that you can have, especially you know if if they had if he had played the the whole season as a starter and you projected out what. Uh, the the games that he did start for the whole year, he would have been one of the, he would have had one of the best rookie seasons we've probably ever seen, if not the best rookie season we've ever seen. He's great with his legs. He had uh, in less games than than Gardner Minshew, he had oh, almost 300 rushing yards, couple rushing touchdowns. I think you'll see him easily in the the three to 400 rushing yard range. Four or five rushing touchdowns is definitely within the realm of possibility for him. And then really, uh, I think, and this is a guy that is going. 
around the 11th round uh, in most most cases. Uh, Fantasy Pros has him and in the – sorry, I had it right here in front of me. Fantasy Pros has Daniel Jones, uh, their 14th ranked running back. He's averaging going in the 15th round. And and that to me, if if you're if you're getting him around there, uh, late in drafts, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't take a flyer on a guy like this. That especially in a dynasty league where he's he's young, they don't have anybody behind him. Jason Garrett being there is going to help him out. Yes, they're going like to throw the ball. They're going to throw the ball more. And and we saw what we saw what Jason Garrett did with the young Tony Romo, and Daniel Jones has some of those qualities, some of those you know gunslinger. Um, some of those gunslinger qualities. He's got the big arm. All these things uh, can really can really help Daniel Jones take a step forward in fantasy. You want to talk about his turnovers? Fine. Jameis Winston turned the ball through the ball <clears throat> through thirty interceptions last year, and he was a top five fantasy quarterback or top eight <laughs> fantasy quarterback. Um, that won me a bet last year. Yeah. What was that? Was it that he finished just as a top? 12 or top 10? Top 10, I think it was, was. Yeah, it wasn't even close. It was easy. Um, I will say this, and I wanted to say this earlier. It's what I was getting at earlier. I'm, a, I'm a, not a big fan of drafting quarterbacks early. So some of these other positions, I might have some early guys. But at quarterback, I'm never, I, you'll never see me draft a quarterback in the first eight rounds. It, it's, it would be very rare. First, I'll say first six. Uh, it's very rare. I... Even in mock drafts, I think in, I've done a ton of mock drafts, and even and only once have I taken a quarterback for superflex. Not for superflex. This is for regularly. Superflex is a bit different, obviously, because they hold more value. But in a regular, you know, one quarterback league, I'm not going to take a quarterback that early. I just think it's a waste of whenever you can see the dip. You know, not a massive difference between you know quarterback twelve and quarterback one is is thirty forty points. And it's like I I'll take my shots there. Oh, I agree. I mean, you, I mean, I've you know in, in leagues I've had you know I've been able to draft Dak late. You know before he was before he you know really started moving up the rankings here the last year or two. Um, you know, and you get major return on that. I mean, I drafted you know Lamar Jackson. You know, I think in the tenth round last year, and I mean that's probably the main reason that I that I won our league. Um, so I mean. You know, I'd rather take shots like that and fill out my roster because, I mean, in a one-quarterback league, you know, you just you just have the one spot to fill there, and they score the most points in fantasy per week. Right. So, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna have you're gonna be able to find a guy to get you by if you can have elite options other elsewhere. Let the other people, you know, use their first, second, third round picks on on Mahomes, Lamar, and Kyler Murray, and stuff like that. And Tyler, uh, since he went two in a row, I'm going to go two in a row. My other – the uh, another quarterback I had is Drew Locke. Here's my – I don't think that Drew Locke is the most talented quarterback in the league. But the points I made earlier about Matthew Stafford and knowing that, hey, you know what, this guy's going to be the starter here for a while because he's good enough, he's got a big arm, he's going to put up numbers in the offense, and he is – in their eyes, a better chance at leading them to a Super Bowl than starting over and drafting another quarterback. That's where I think Drew Locke is. Drew Locke would have to come out and be very, very bad for Denver to say, hey, you know what, we're going to start over. They have the pieces there now. They have, they have reached the point in their rebuild where it's like, okay, we've got the pieces we want. Now we need to let them 
prosper, get to know each other, get on the same page, and two, three years from now, we should be Super Bowl contenders. That's how they view their roster right now. I mean, especially from the offensive. They've got one of the most, you know, stacked um, offensive units. you know, in the league. I mean, now that's obviously dependent on Jerry Judy living up to some expectation and Hamler coming in there and contributing a little bit. But I mean, when you've got a guy like Philip Lindsay who's been doing doing work, and then you still bring in a guy like Melvin Gordon, you got Noah Fant emerging, you've still got Cortland Sutton there. I mean, well, when you bring in a tight end, he's not talked about a lot. Alex, oh, I'm not going to try to say his last name. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't do him that disservice, but he's not talked about a lot. But he was Drew Locke's favorite in zone, red zone target in, at Missouri. You, they are trying to make Drew Locke as comfortable as possible and giving him everything he needs to succeed. And so if they're not going to put that much effort into this guy and say, hey, if you're not good this year, we're going to look elsewhere. He's, he has a window of two to three years. They have confidence in this guy. And so me knowing that in a dynasty league, it's like, hey, you know what? I've got a guy who has big potential. With, ever, with all the weapons around him, with his big arm, he has huge, huge uh, potential to quote one of your favorites huge pot- potential um, but he also is in a is in a secure place I don't see any reason why he's going to lose his job anytime soon and those two combined for me uh, make him worth his his ADP where he's going 22nd uh, quarterback overall I think is what uh, what fantasy pros has him at he's ranked in in dynasty rankings on even on the UDK with fantasy footballers, he's seventeenth. And and me personally, like I would take that shot on Drew Locke because of especially because of the weapons they put around him. Yeah. He went uh he went just before uh, I was looking at taking him in our dynasty draft. So I uh shockingly I've mentioned two guys who I love and I passed on both of them. I love Drew Locke and I I traded away a pick that was obviously for Drew Locke and I knew it was. <laughs> and I, I traded it away saying, okay, well, I'll get Gardner Minshew. And then I passed on Gardner Minshew, thinking I'll get him on the turn, and Tyler got him. So, so uh, yeah, two guys who I love are gone. And, and I, I mean, just, just to reiterate, like, why I don't like the quarterback position. Last year I gave up a good amount, not a good amount, but enough to get Russell Wilson in order to make a run for the <laughs> league championship. And then in the league championship – the guy who I should have had from the very beginning who I dropped was Jameis Winston. If I had Jameis Winston in that game instead of Russell Wilson, I would have won the league championship. You definitely And lost so I, I just – I don't think that, uh, that that QB is a position that you need to, to buy high on. And and this is a – these are a couple few guys who, who I think you would definitely buy cheap. Tyler, who's your last one? Um, a guy that we've uh, mentioned a couple times here so far – Matt Stafford, um, he was on a blazing hot pace last year for the first half of the season, had the injury. Uh, I mean, he's going to return now. Uh, I mean, Hawkinson in the second year, you know, tight end, he's going to take a little bit of a step. You know, probably don't expect to see him fulfill his potential for another year or two, but he's going to take a step. Uh, You got Kenny G still there, still have Marvin Jones, who is – he's got a solid floor, Marvin Jones does. Uh, And then you add – Carry on and DeAndre Swift in the equation. I mean, he's got the weapons there to have one of his better seasons. Every every year for the past five years, everybody, you know, picks him as one of their breakouts and oh, this is gonna be the year he can he can have, you know, a high end quarterback one performance and he never quite lives up to it. But I think for him being thirty two years old, 
Uh, going as quarterback 14 right now, I mean, he's a very acquirable asset, and he offers you a really safe floor with a high ceiling. All right. I, I, I like Matt Stafford. I think that with where you can get him uh, he's and how, how the value that he's going to cost you, and he's still got a few good years left in the tank, I would certainly be okay with having Matthew Stafford on the roster, especially in a super flex uh, like like we're in. My other quarterback is going to be a guy I do have and I will probably have in almost all leagues, and that's Ryan Tannehill. Uh, for one, Ryan Tannehill is 31. Going, he'll be 32 midway through the season or, or right at the start of the season. But to me, 32 is not that old for a quarterback. Uh, also, <clears throat> what he did last year – there is no way to expect him, and, and this I want this to be clear, I don't expect him to be as efficient as last year. But the same thing that I talked about with A.J. Brown, I expect him to have more opportunity this year. I expect him to have more passing attempts because they have more faith in their quarterback than they did for most of last year. And with, with all that being said, I don't think that he's going to all of a sudden be inefficient. So I think you, you find a, a healthy medium in his efficiency from last year into this year. You, you take that and you say, okay, well, He's going to take the lack of efficiency and turn that into more opportunity. And his numbers will be similar to what he was on pace for last year. And I think somewhere in the region of 3,500 to 4,000 yards with 25 to 30 touchdowns through the air is completely uh, within, within reach for this guy. And currently, you know, he's, he's going midway, you know, middle of, the, middle of the pack in terms of quarterbacks. I think uh, fantasy pros had him. Uh, somewhere in the 16 to 17 range, that's where most of them, most most of the people have Tannehill going is in that. Uh, that's where he's going drafted is is in the middle of the pack. 17, he's getting drafted. You know, 16th quarterback off the board, 17th quarterback off the board uh, after Big Ben, after Baker Mayfield, and and after Matthew Matthew Stafford. And and me personally, I'd rather have Tannehill than these guys because I. I just I have faith in what Tannehill was able to do. There was a time in Tannehill's career three years ago when it looked like this dude might be the next big, you know, next best quarterback in the league. Adam Gase. Man. Adam Gase, an injury, and then and then you know was unable to get things going, and then he got charity to a new place, uh, new quarterback room, uh, new offense, uh, uh, weapons around him, and and Tannehill exploded and, and saw a little bit of the potential that we thought we saw from three or four years ago. So I'm really big on Tannehill and, and see him as a, a value guy. Moving on to running – or uh, what do you want to do? Running backs, wide receivers, Tyler? Uh, we can do running backs. Running backs. Who, who, uh, who are your guys? Um, well, one that I know that we probably feel the same about is uh, Ronald Jones. Um, Keyshawn Vaughn hype train is definitely going, and I know that we've uh, hit on this a little bit um, in terms of when we were talking about rookie busts. Um, you know, Ronald Jones hasn't really – he may not have done anything to secure, you know, the entire workload, but he definitely hasn't done anything to warrant it just be being given to Keyshawn Vaughn right off the bat. So, Ronald Jones, if you factor in, you know, he was splitting time with Peyton Barber last year. They each had six touchdowns on the ground. I mean, he's going to get the majority of that first and second down work. And uh, I, I think that – Keyshawn Vaughn going ahead of him in drafts is a little bit irresponsible right now. So I'm I'm buying Ronald Jones, uh, whether it be through trade. Uh, I, I would definitely like to get my hands on him. I know you've got him, and you know you've had some inquiries on him. And uh, you know in any of the drafts this year, especially in our uh, 
in our regular Washed Up Hasbins League where I'm missing uh, quite a few early picks. He might be in consideration for one of my uh, starting running backs. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Rojo. I think that for sure he'll be first, second down running back. And then there's this this what blows my mind is there's this idea out there that Keyshawn Vaughn. And I mentioned this before. I'm just going to reiterate that Keyshawn Vaughn is some. James White, Chris Thompson, Tariq Cohen-esque pass catcher, and he's not. He's not. He's he's a pretty good pass protector and struggles in in catching the the ball just like Rojo did coming out of college. There wasn't a lot. It wasn't necessarily struggled. Rojo clearly has struggled in the NFL, but coming out of college, it wasn't that he struggled. It's that there wasn't a lot, a big sample size there. Same goes for for Keyshawn Vaughn. And so this idea that he's just going to slot into the third down Role and then take over the first second down role because he's a good runner between the tackles. I don't, I don't fall for it. I still believe in Rojo, and I, me personally, in all my mock drafts for redraft, I'm taking Rojo before Keyshawn Vaughn, oh. and I think easily, easily for me, it's easy that I would rather have Rojo than Keyshawn Vaughn. Well, the thing is, you're not going to have to choose whether to take Rojo before Vaughn because Vaughn's going to go, and you're still going to be able, yeah, still right. be able to get Rojo right. yeah. <laughs> after that. And you know, if you're looking. And, and the, Rojo is a prime example of a guy that you can trade for at a very low value because people right now are, are buying on onto the hype train of Keyshawn Vaughn and Rojo is out there. And, and this is from a guy who has Rojo. I drafted him in a startup and nobody wants him. <laughs> nobody sees the value in him. And I'm like, fine, I'll keep him. And I don't need him. But, but it's one of those things where I see Ronald Jones being a guy that can finish as a flex play, top 30. And we all know Ronald Jones is uh, younger. Yeah, <laughs> he's a young guy. So uh, my, my number one running back is a guy who is – it might be a little bit difficult to attain him. Uh, I will say if you're in a startup draft, it won't be, and he, he should be looked at. That's David Montgomery. Uh, David Montgomery's ADP, which we, you know, like we said, it, this isn't necessarily just for redraft, but just to kind of see how he's being valued, he's he's his ADP is behind Mark Ingram, Devin Singletary, uh, Lev Bell, uh, James Conner, guys who who weren't that good last year, just like David Montgomery. But here's here's the deal with David Montgomery: you can get David Montgomery in about the fourth or fifth round of a redraft, which means you know most guys are viewing him as an RB two to a flex play. David Montgomery is looking at over 300 touches this year. He'll have over 250 rushes and at least 200, at least, uh, sorry, at least 50 targets. At least. I think you could see him in the 70 target range and the 270 rushing, rushing attempts range. That kind of volume is RB1 volume. That's, that, is, that is top 12 volume. Did he struggle last year with good volume? Yes. But even if he, if he just, improves a little bit, which is expected. I think the whole Chicago Bears offense is expected to improve a little bit um, because they. I think last year was an outlier of how – I don't think they're great, but I don't think they're that bad. And so I think that there will be some some improvement there. And just a little bit of improvement is going to put him into that RB1, fringe RB1 conversation. You can get him in the fourth or fifth round of, of redrafts, which means that other guys aren't valuing him as high as he can. That means you could, you could get a package of David Montgomery and, I don't know, Devontae Parker for, uh, for Miles Sanders, for Nick Chubb, one of these RB1s. Mm-hmm. I would take that deal any day of the week. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's clear that 
even though sometimes they may not be the most efficient in terms of yards per carry, I mean, volume is king, and uh, that's what's going to lead to fantasy points is opportunity. And David Montgomery certainly appears to have himself lined up for a pretty great opportunity. Who's your second running back, Tyler? Uh, well, I do want to bring up a guy that kind of similar to Ronald Jones. You know I've been in on Jordan Howard for his entire career. Uh, if you're just looking for somebody to steady the ship, if you just need a little bit of depth, um, a guy that could be attainable is Jordan Howard. Um, he's done pretty much nothing but be effective for every situation he's been in, whether it was a good Chicago Bears team, a bad Chicago Bears team, a committee in Philadelphia, even though he got injured. I mean, he was doing fine in Philadelphia. I mean, he, he's rushed for 1,000 yards multiple times in his career. He's still only 25 years old, and he's going to find himself getting – the majority of the workload in Miami. I know they brought in Brita. Brita's a guy who has injury history. Um, but more importantly, you know, I think Jordan Howard is going to get, you know, it, it's probably going to be more of a 60-40 split, um, you know, in in, uh, in kind of the worst case scenario. And uh, he, he's going to give you a solid floor. And like I said, he's still 25. Um you don't know what could happen with him for the rest of his career, but he's a guy that I think is highly attainable, and he's a worthy guy to plug in when you need him. And, uh, I mean, that's what Dynasty's about. It's about having a good starting lineup, but it's also about just acquiring good talent and having depth. Um, so he, he's a guy that I really like, and you can get him at a good price, whether it be in draft or trading for him. Yeah, I, I I've never been a big fan of Jordan Howard, but but he gets the job done. He's not yeah, a flashy player. Flashy. You don't like to watch Jordan Howard play, but he gets the job done. I mean, he's he's going to get you ten to twelve points a game, and you're going to be and occasionally he'll score two touchdowns, and you'll get thirty, and you're going to be like, wow, this guy did really well all year long, and and that's you'd that's be, all you can ask for. You'd be surprised at um, where he falls on the list of uh, rushing yards since he's coming to the league. Uh, I, I'm. I'm certain that it would surprise most people because you probably wouldn't think that he's, you know, a top ten guy, but he's higher than that. Um, I mean, he's he's been really consistent. Yeah, so I'm having trouble with my my last two here because I've got three guys I want to talk about, but I, I'm going to say the number one I'm going to talk about is Zach Moss. I think Zach Moss um, is one of the more underrated rookies, and, and rookie running backs to me. Hold a lot of value in Dynasty because that is their rookie year, especially the way they're used in the modern NFL. Their rookie year to probably year five, you think, is their window. Year four or five, that's their window. And then for a lot of running backs, that's it. Then they're moved to, you know, committees, committees or, or, you know. But, but Zach Moss, and yes, you look at Devin Singletary, but Devin Singletary is a change of pace receiving back. He's not going to get a lot of carries in between the tackles. And that's going to be Zach Moss's role. The Buffalo Bills run the football. Josh Allen's great-ish, but they don't want to put the they don't want to put the game in Josh Allen's hands. They want to run the football and play good defense. Even though I did see I did see some stats the other day. I mean, he is pretty much the least likely quarterback to check down in pretty much any scenario. But to, Zach Moss, but, but, but Zach Moss is not somebody who I think is is reliant on that. I'm, I'm very aware. I see this in the same way you see Jordan Howard. I just see it from a guy who's younger. 
Yeah. So the same way you view Jordan Howard's how I view Zach Moss. He is not going to be pretty. He is not going to be putting up flashy stats. He's not going to have a bunch of big plays. He's going to have 15 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown. And you're going to be like, wow, that was mediocre, and I'll take it out of my flex spot. <laughs> I'll take it week in and week out because that's what it's going to be. Devin Singletary will get you know, 12 catches and – or I'm sorry, 12 rushes and five catches – Zach Moss is going to have 15 to 18 carries, and they're both going to be pretty efficient, but neither one's going to stand out on, on in, in fantasy. Yeah. So my, my last one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do it. I, I, I wanted to talk about Marlon Mack, but we're going to save that for, uh, for our next episode. We're going to talk a little bit more about rookies in our next episode. A guy that I'm, I'm looking at late, and really late. I mean, this guy's going undrafted in some places. In a dynasty draft, you're going to get him real, real late. But it's Jalen Richard, and I and here's my my argument for Jalen Richard. He's 26 years old, and he is a pass catching back. Pass catching backs have a role in the NFL for, of of when you view running backs. We we just gave you that stat about running backs, their prime being rookie to you know to the, to their year five. But with pass catching backs, they can have a solid seven, eight, nine year career. James White, Chris Thompson, Tariq Cohen. Um, Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles. These guys that catch the football primarily and are good in open space. That's Jalen Richard. He's 26 years old. So I think that – do I think that Jalen Richard will be a guy who you consistently put in your starting lineup? No. But in building a good da- dynasty team, you need to have a guy like Jalen Richard who, hey, if there's an injury, I can slip Richard in and know I'm going to – especially in a, in a – this is in PPR, half PPR format. I know I'm going to get 8 to 10 points. I know that's going to happen because I know he's going to get four or five catches a game, and I know that occasionally he's going to get a little bit higher than that. I'm a, I want a guy like that on my roster. I can get him for cheap. If, I'm, if someone already owns him, I can go buy him. If I have Jer- you know, Josh Jacobs, I definitely want to go get him. And if I'm in a, a, a startup draft, I can get him really, really late, which is what I did this year. I did trade him away, but it's a guy who I would like to have on my squad because of the fact that he, he does project to have a longer career than, than running backs who spend their time running through the tackles. Yeah, and then uh, my last running back here that I want to touch on, um, he's a rookie also, um, Antonio Gibson. Obviously – Because he has the same last name as you, right? That is probably the initial reason that I keyed in on drafting him (laughs) late. Uh, You know, all the rookie running backs were flying off the board, and I wanted to uh, get a piece of something and uh, saw my namesake still floating around there. So um, we did our startup – before the NFL draft, which I know that Alec didn't like, but I, I liked the idea it worked of, out of, great for of me. the lottery pick <laughs> aspect of it. Um, so, you know, it kind of kind of tempered everybody's uh, bloodthirst for the rookies. Um, we did still see some go pretty early. And uh, that was, Edwards Hilaire didn't. That was unlucky for, for them because uh, of how the draft shook out. But – Antonio Gibson going to the Redskins. It's a really crowded backfield. Um, Darius Geis, he's obviously, I mean, he's looked good whenever he can be healthy. But, I mean, you just can't count on that guy being healthy. I wouldn't be surprised if Adrian Peterson doesn't make the roster this year um, just because it's crowded. But, I mean, he was good uh, for him last year. Um, We'll just see. I mean, it's a new regime in there. They drafted Antonio Gibson. Uh, Ron Rivera is the one who put the Christian McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey comp on him, which, you know, it's a little reckless, but, um, still fun to be an Antonio Gibson owner. Um, they're going to use him regardless of if 
Adrian Peterson or Darius Geis are on the field, they're going to find ways to work him in because of his pass-catching skill set. He's a Memphis running back. Um, they're exciting. They're electric. They're versatile. Um, I think this is a guy who's got a low enough value that you can go get him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of a uh, lottery ticket in that aspect. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think that Antonio Gibson, because if you look at that roster, of all those running backs you, you said, the only one you didn't mention him, but the only one on that roster that catches passes exclusively is J.D. McKissick. He'll likely get cut. Yeah. And so there's already a role for Antonio Gibson. And I think that if, you know, if he does that well, he could, he could definitely be utilized and, and get you some points for a guy you can get for, for close to nothing. So we are uh, we are running close on time, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of go through this these wide receivers a little quicker. My number one guy that I want to talk about is Chris Godwin. I think Chris Godwin, it, to me, is worth whatever you've got to pay to get him. I I paid for him I, and I, I acquired him because to me, Chris Godwin, if he's not the number one this year, he will be the number one receiver in the next three or four years, and I think he could sustain that for three or four more years as long as it's even with. Even after Tom Brady leaves, he's a slot receiver, which means that that, that that automatically means that his career is going to be a little bit longer from what we've seen. He's going to have receptions, and you could, you could point to a few things that I can understand against Godwin, but to me, I see the reception total being high. I see him being a vocal point of, the, of a Bruce Arians offense, which is going to throw the football, and I see the immense amount of talent that he has. He is the best slot receiver in terms of pure talent that Tom Brady's ever had. So I think for this year, he's looking at 100 to 110 receptions. And the sky's the limit for what that guy can do with 100-plus receptions, um, especially in this offense. So Chris Godwin's my guy, number number first off. Um, yeah, I want to talk about Robert Woods, which, um, I mean, if enough fantasy people keep talking about him, uh, he's not going to be the value that uh, he really is. But for some reason, the guy has just never gotten the respect um, his entire career. I mean – I think eight years in a row, he's outperformed his ADP on the year. Um, so every year, pretty much no matter where you draft him, you're going to get a return on that. And uh, as usual, I mean, his ADP right now in sleeper was wide receiver 26, which is just – that's that's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, he's a guy who has wide receiver one upside. He's for sure a top 15 guy this year. Brandon Cooks has moved on. Uh, I mean, he had one of the highest, um, you know – snap rates uh he's on the field running routes non-stop i mean you saw a cup and you saw a cook swapping out you know uh they were subbing out doing this but he's all robert woods is always on the field he may not have the red zone prowess that a uh, cup does but i mean he's he's a guy that's got a ridiculously high floor and a really low value so yeah my other my next receiver you know and i, I agree with think woods is a ton of reception value i want to list off some guys real quick uh aj brown dj moore Cortland Sutton, DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin. Those are all guys going before DJ Chark. And it's not that I don't think those guys are better than DJ Chark uh, or or are good. They are good. But to me, DJ Chark goes right there in with those guys in in Dynasty that are great guys to have on your team. And DJ Chark's the one going at the the end of that. So to me, it's like I want the last of those guys because he's going to give me the best value. You know, and, and... DJ Chark's going to be the cheapest. I mean, you got him for a pretty good price in our Dynasty League. Uh, I love DJ Chark. If we love Gardner Minshew and, and the potential that Gardner Minshew has, then we have to love DJ Chark because that's his number one target. Yeah. And when they were both healthy and, and, and firing on all cylinders, they were a great one-two combo. We saw that early in the year. I think that going into the, the, the back half of the season, Chark was a little banged up. Uh, you know, there was some confusion, you know, 
misunderstanding of like who was going to start. Was it going to be Minshew? Was it going to be Foles? And so I think that the full season with Foles and Minshew, or excuse me, with Minshew's and, and Chark could lead uh, to a wide receiver one season for Chark. 1,210 is, is definitely within realm. So who's your, who's your next one, Tyler? Um, next, I want to talk about um, a guy who's probably going behind Chark also. Um, it's Devontae Parker. Um, I mean, he's he's somewhere in the mix in those guys, and regardless of where he is, and he's a guy who finished last season as a wide receiver one. Um I always like to point to Adam Gase and how terrible he is for uh, fantasy and for just players in general. I mean, we see people get underneath them and they die. And we see people get out from underneath them and they thrive. Uh, see Tannehill, Kenyon Drake, see Le'Veon Bell playing for him, see Devontae Parker breaking out. Um, That's the reason Denzel Mims isn't on this list. Right. He should be on the list, but he plays for Adam Yeah, Gase. you just can't yeah. count on right. anything coming out good. Um, so... Devonta Parker, I mean, he's still 27. He's got plenty of tread left on the tires. Um, you know, he has been banged up from time to time, but I think that, you know, the sky's the limit, whether it be with Ryan Fitzpatrick, who loves to sling the ball downfield, or Tua. Um, Tua's a very accurate passer. Uh, Devonta Parker is still the most talented receiver on that team. And, uh, I mean, I think that he's still going to find a way to return great value on his ADP or his price that you can get him for. Yeah. He is going ahead of uh, of Chark, so I'd ask you, who would you rather have, Parker or Chark? In Dynasty? Yeah. Um, I'd probably rather maybe, – maybe Chark just because of the age difference. But um, Parker has the better situation. You but, yes, I, I think that Charker has, has better years in the near future, but Chark, you know – has the longer time left to play with. And right. so it just, you know, depend on your roster makeup. But my last guy is Justin Jefferson. Uh, I've talked about him last week, but that was before the news came out this week that they said they will be using him in the slot. If Justin Jefferson is being used in the slot in Minnesota, he's a great slot receiver. That's an offense that utilizes the slot position. Adam Thielen will be on the outside, which means he's going to, he's going to take some attention away. I think Justin Jefferson is in a position to be, a stellar slot receiver for years and years to come. And so I, I think that even this year, I think he'll be fantasy relevant this year. I think you could easily see him as a flex guy, wide receiver three type guy, top 40. Uh, and he's he's going in most drafts in the 50 to 60 range And so uh, in terms of receivers off the board. So I think for me that Justin Jefferson in a dynasty league where he could definitely be successful for years to come in a, in a good offense, I would rather have – Jeff, Justin Jefferson than a lot of these other rookies. All right, I'm going to hit on one more real quick before we wrap it up. Um, everybody loves Hollywood Brown, really, That's but right. his ADP does not reflect it. Um, you know, I think that everybody forgets that, I mean, he was he was dealing with a little bit of injury that last year. He should be fully healthy this year. Uh, another year, you know, working with Lamar. Uh, maybe them trying not to have Lamar rush quite as much. Uh, I know he loves to look downfield, and it's just fun to watch Hollywood get loose. So he's a guy that I think, uh, you know, his ADP is around basically a wide receiver three value, uh, well, late he, wide receiver three. I mean, he's he's a guy that has high-end wide receiver two upside. For here's sure. what's frustrating about, about Hollywood Brown, and I'll keep it short, but I'm an OU fan, so I love Hollywood Brown, always have. The thing about Hollywood Brown is everybody sees him as his burner. He's a great route runner. Like He's a legitimately yeah. great route runner. That's why he went in the first round, not just because of his speed. And so this is a guy that can be utilized on in all you know different areas of the field. <clears throat> yep. 
So Tyler, that, that'll wrap us up for today. Uh, we do want to re uh, one more time endorse Hayden Hurst. If we were to get to tight ends, we both would have said Hayden yes. Hurst. So with the way things are going at this point, Tyler and I will never get Hayden Hurst in any of our leagues because we keep talking about him. Matt Ryan, um, I'm telling you about all the shootouts he's going to get in and how he's going to have a top five year. So Tyler, any last words before we uh, we we depart? Nope. Y'all stay safe out there. Stay safe. Stay classy. Thanks for joining us tonight, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to the Washed Up Has-Beens podcast. It's your host, Alec the Avocado Martinez, and here joining, joining me, my co-host, Tyler Gibson. Tyler, how are we doing today? I'm doing great, man. Uh, excited to talk some rookies. Yeah, we're going to be talking some rookies, uh, dynasty rookies today. Uh, we're going to do a top five for quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers, and maybe give you a little bit of advice on some rookie tight ends that, that probably won't have much impact this year, but maybe you could look for, uh, for down the road. Before we get into that, though, we're going to touch on our, our news and notes. Really only one piece of big news, and, and we're a little bit late on this, but uh, I apologize. I was out of town, so me and Tyler are getting our, our show in late this week. I promise we'll be back to Tuesdays next week, um, but it is Thursday. The big news is Cam Newton signing with the New England Patriots. What was your reaction? Man, uh, I was excited, and I think excited more as just a football fan in general. Um, you know, just... Jared Stidham wasn't really doing it for me, so I know there's a lot of people who thought they weathered the storm of uh, all the potential um, of a quarterback landing there if they had Jared Stidham and uh, thought maybe, hey, I, I just I just got a guy for cheap and uh, he's going to get get me some starts in this year. And, you know, Jared Stidham definitely still can. I, I, I definitely see him and Cam both having starts this year. But I think it's more just as a football fan, I'm excited to see Cam there. I think – I don't think Jared Stidham's going to get – I mean, wh- why would he get a start at this point? I just don't understand why they would – I mean, I guess because of the offseason, which is a question we're going to get to in a second, but maybe the short offseason gives him a chance to start the first few games. But I, <clears throat> Cam Newton's an MVP winning quarterback. And, and to your point, football is more exciting when guys like him are in the game. Yeah. Um, and, and so as a sport of, of football and as a fantasy, uh, fan, fantasy football analyst – I'm excited to see Cam Newton in the game, and I'm excited to see him on a team that has a few weapons that I wouldn't mind seeing bolstered right now. You know, I I, I tried to get in kill Harry and uh, and Sony Michelle was unsuccessful, and and now they they rise a little bit. And which would be my next question: Do those guys take a step forward in your rankings, or does it have no effect? I think Michelle, obviously, given you know his current injury status, anyway. Um, was already dropping, and maybe he doesn't take a huge dip because of this, but, I mean, the running backs in Cam's offenses have pretty much always played second fiddle. Now, that is just going to tell us whether, now, obviously, except for when he had McCaffrey here at the end, but um, I think what we're going to have to figure out is if their plan is to have Cam do Cam or have Cam be healthy, because I think you can't have old Cam without him risking injury. And we've seen him in fantasy whenever he's played a full season. He's been a top-five quarterback. Um, but, you know, without the risk of him running uh, as much, is he going to be as effective of a passer, even though he's not really that great of a passer in general? But when you take away one aspect of his game, does the other suffer a lot? So I don't know. Um, I, I mean, it's really just going to depend on health. I mean, I'd like to see see what he's doing and see what the reports are coming out of there once he gets some activity in with them and uh you know just looking forward to it it's just exciting 
Yeah, what would you say in that offense takes the biggest jump, in your opinion, in your rankings? Uh, besides Cam, obviously. Uh, well, I do think that this is good for uh, Nikhil Harry. I mean, Julian Edelman probably doesn't move much because his role is going to be what his role was. But um, I definitely think that uh, Nikhil Harry is going to have, have um, a little more of a bump in terms of uh, what I'm excited for and expecting for from him, apart from obviously being a second-year receiver and, uh, you know, prime to break out. But See, mine is actually going to be James White. I think James White takes a huge step forward in this because I – Traditionally, you're right, the running back does take second fiddle, but he has used his running back in the passing game quite often. Mm-hmm. And I think with his limitations, Bill, you know, Bill's the perfect kind of coach to say, hey, why don't we, and Josh McDaniel's going to say, hey, why don't, we, why don't we dump it off to James White, this guy who's a, a premier pass-catching back in the NFL. Why don't we do that a little bit more, save your legs, and, and we'll show you how we made Tom Brady play until he was 42 years old. Definitely. We've seen New England use that little dump-off game as their rushing attack before. And uh, so that, that definitely could be a way to not let the defenses just sit back on Cam and uh, make him throw it because, like I said, I think in order for him to stay healthy, he can't be running it like he used to. I agree. Well, that does it for news. Unless, Tyler, you have anything else that you think uh, is, has happened recently that's pretty well, – AB, AB well, running some routes with Russ. Yeah, we got, we got that. We, we talked about that last time. I don't think either one of us want to see – for Antonio Brown or for the op- receiving options in Seattle, we don't want to see Antonio Brown there. Uh, I guess the other big thing is that the preseason uh, has been cut down from four weeks to two. They took out the first and fourth weeks of the preseason – that's going to lead us into our first <clears throat> mailbag question. Well, I guess our first two, really. We're going to take the first one from Joel out in Dallas. <clears throat> Joel says, uh, should we be targeting players that have an easier schedule in the beginning and would benefit from a potentially shortened season? Well, uh, most of the time the metric for strength of schedule is based off of last year. And in the NFL, we see how it is such a league of parity and how, you know, there's always guaranteed to be playoff teams from the year before miss the playoffs and teams that weren't in the playoffs make the playoffs. So it's really hard to just solely count on that um, based off of last year's record and everything. A lot of things change. So I don't know that I would put too much weight into their early season schedule. That's usually more of something that you start to get a feel for during the season and you start to maybe target guys as you get close to the deadline, like, hey, they've got a good playoff schedule because you've seen how these teams have been performing this year. So I wouldn't I wouldn't make that as big of a factor as maybe you think you might want to. Yeah, I think when I look at early season schedule, the only way that it really has an effect to me is – you look at a guy, a quarterback, who you're going to get late and you're going to stream. Well, obviously, if I'm going to stream my quarterbacks, I'm drafting 12th, 13th round quarterback or defense, I'm going to go ahead and go with off of what last year said you know, for week one. And then from there, I'm going to you know, just go off of what, the, what, what their play tells me. The other thing that I want to point out is that if, if the season were to be shortened, this, the schedule as it is wouldn't stay the same. They wouldn't keep you know, the first eight weeks and just cut the back eight. What would happen is we would have a whole new schedule. They'd get their division games Exactly. In. And so my, my point would be that if, if the season were to be shortened, I would then take more into effect who their division opponents are because it would weigh heavier in terms of, you know, you play them. If you play 10 games, they cut it to a 10-game season, they're going to play their division opponents at least two of them twice. 
you know, if not all four, twice, and then two non-divisional games. So I would pay more attention to their division opponents if the season were to be shortened in, in any way, not necessarily who their current early season is. So right now, I would continue to play the naive game and say, you know, I, they're going to play football as is, and I don't need to worry about the schedule changing. I'm just going to go with what I know. And I wouldn't put too much emphasis on the on the schedule anyway. It's just never been early in the year. I think once you get the season started, you start looking at trades down the road, you look at the playoff schedule, but but early in the year, drafting time, I don't know that it's that important. Second question comes from Craig out of Coppell. He says, uh, oops, sorry. Uh, if you're, uh, let's see, what team or player does a shortened season or no preseason, preseason at all hurt the most? Um. Well, uh, you know, as we kind of talked about before we uh, got going in this, I mean, <clears throat> you know, whether you have new systems being implemented by a new coaching regime or uh, just a player changing teams, I think those uh, instances do hurt players. And, I mean, certain rookie positions, I mean, you know, I think we're we're confident that the running backs can be, be able to get in there and do what running backs do. Um, but, you know, guys like receivers, and we already know that tight ends take – you know, a while to develop, but guys like receivers, you know, may see a little bit um, longer of a learning curve to uh, get get in sync in the offense. Yeah, just thinking of, for me, I'm thinking of some, try to give some particular examples. One for me, if, if you're looking at it from a dynasty perspective, is Justin Herbert. I think without a preseason, Justin Herbert for sure starts behind Tyrod Taylor on the bench. Uh, same goes for Tua. Uh, Joe Burrow's in a situation where he, he'll be out there no matter what. Uh, but I but I I look at some of the the coaching changes in the NFL. I think of Daniel Jones in in Jason Garrett's system. I think of some of the player changes. I think of Tom Brady going to a whole new place. We see Gronk without any preseason. What's that going to do? I think that that maybe steps OJ Howard up a bit while Gronk you know acclimates to regular football again. Rojo um, and Vaughn. I know we've talked about them. You know, yeah, Rojo think, yeah. gives him a little bit more of a head start to keep his job. Same carry on Marlon Mack. I think maybe not Mack just because they spent so much on uh, on Jonathan Taylor. But I but I I could definitely see all these spots where running backs landed and they're split. It's gonna be advantage to the incumbent than than it is to the uh, than to the rookie coming in. J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram. You know, I, I think. You know, everybody already expected Mark Ingram to get the load of the work early in, in the season, but I, I don't think there's any question because they're not going to have time to work themselves in. Uh, I, what, what it actually, the team I think that might be affected the most offensively could be the Houston Texans. Houston Texans have a new running back, two new wide receivers, uh, a wide receiver who spent a lot of time last year hurt. They have a, I think they, they brought back their tight end, which doesn't mean much because they don't use them often. But this is a team that needs that needed to my in my opinion needed the preseason to get all on the same page with Deshaun Watson and they if they don't get it, it could it could be bad for their production early in the season. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. <clears throat> our uh, our last mailbag question of today comes from Matthew out of Atlanta, Georgia. It says, for IDP players, do you always value linebackers over other positions? If if so, which which DBs and D linemen are the exceptions? Um, well, linebackers obviously are going to be in the mix on the majority of plays, whether that's run stopping or dropping back in coverage. They're going to be able to get the tackles, um, 
have potential to get sacks and obviously sometimes can be in the mix for interceptions. Um, I would say they're generally safer, but I found myself last year riding the Minka Fitzpatrick train for quite a few weeks. And uh, I mean, depending on how many um, IDP positions that your league has, um, you know, it's it's probably a safe bet to take take a guy like a linebacker, but just be willing to pivot off of them and ride a hot streak because sometimes players just get on those rolls where they're getting sacks or picks or whatever. Um, so really, I mean, it's it's kind of a finicky position. Yeah, since 2015, or 2015 was the last time that a non-linebacker led the league in IDP points. That was a safety. But since 2012, there has never been more than three <clears throat> non-linebackers in the top 12 of IDP players. And that only happened once. 2018, there was three. Every other year, there was one or two. And it was all linebackers. Other than that, reason being, just like you said, the, the tackles. The safeties and defensive ends that have been in the mix are typically J.J. Watt, and then the safeties have been someone like Landon Collins, Rashad Jones, Jamal Adams, these guys who either either play up in the box or force a large amount of turnovers. And those turnovers, you can't count on them from year to year, but the tackles for right. linebackers, you definitely can. So, so I think, for me, it's it's I'm looking... I, my probably first five listed IDP players are going to be linebackers. So I'm looking at, uh, if it's a dynasty, I'm looking at rookie linebackers because they've been, in recent years, yeah, they've been very Roquan good. we've seen Roquan Smith come in. We've seen, obviously, Leighton Van, Van Esch's rookie year. Th- Darius Leonard. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking at guys like Patrick Queen, uh, Kenneth Murray, uh, I, uh, Simmons over in Arizona. Mm-hmm. All guys good options for dynasty league. But, you know, you've also got your, your classic linebackers. Uh, Jalen Smith, Leighton Van Der Esch are both on the list in the top 20. Uh, you look at, I'm going blank right now, Bobby Wagner's traditionally been uh, a uh, top he's, guy. He's a good bet to finish in the top five at his position. Right. And so, <clears throat> yes, I'm looking at linebacker first. I, but I do think there are exceptions. Jamal Adams is my exception at the safety position because his his – like last year, Minka Fitzpatrick's success was based on his turnovers. Yes. Jamal Adams' success is not based solely on his ability to create and create turnovers. Right. So I, I, to me, Jamal Adams fits that role because he, he can create turnovers and historically in his career so far has. But he also plays up and close to the box, makes a lot of tackles, has got his nose in on, on a lot of plays. Therefore, he has the, the, the tackle volume that you need and he also has the... Uh, ability to create turnovers. So would you go linebacker as your top ranked, and then would you go defensive end, or would you go safety? I would go defensive yeah, end because right. they have they they are more involved on every single play. Yeah, they have they are close they always to the have ball. a chance. Yes, to yes, get they're close to, to the ball. They're always they're always available, and it also depends on your scoring in your league. In 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 a league that that we are a startup dynasty that we're doing, you know, QB hit call is is half a point. Yeah. Um, and so that in itself makes defensive defensive linemen more more valuable. And then you ask who are the exceptions in in that defensive end defensive lineman? Easy ones. Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's definitely an exception until he uh, gets really shut down for a season. I would probably take him over most players. There's only a handful of linebackers I would take over Aaron Donald. Yeah. But really, just probably stay away from corners. Really. Yeah. Because I mean, if you get a really good corner, what you got to do is get a above average decent corner 
and they're going to have a chance to get some picks. But if you get an elite corner, they're just not going to get the ball thrown to them too much. Yeah, and, so. and with corner, it's one of those things that you might pick a guy up who has a, a an interception one week, and it's like, you know what, I'm going to give him a shot, and then he ends up with eight or nine. But but there's not as much of a, a science, and it's not as easy to project at the cornerback position than it is at the defensive end, defensive uh, linebacker, safety position. I mean, guys on the D-line, you can look at – things like win rate and you know even if they're not getting the sacks you know that they're getting they're getting the getting in the mix and that it could be coming so those are those are things that you can definitely look at that are pretty tangible and just a couple other exceptions at the safety position for me it's only Jamal Adams I can't think of I maybe Buda Baker but I can't think of a lot of safeties that I would take over a linebacker in a single IDP format at the defensive line position you got Aaron Donald Joey Bosa uh, I would honestly, I would probably say Nick Bosa. Um, Mac, kind of. He's who? a linebacker. He, he's more of a linebacker, I guess. He's, yeah. He's kinda... and keep in mind, Khalil Mack falls into that linebacker uh, role. So, you know, when, if you're wondering, line, he's, he's classified as a linebacker, uh, <laughs> not a defensive end. Um, but but I, I'm looking for guys who, have, who, are, who are traditionally high sack total guys, who are going to get to the quarterback, you know, and if they play the run real well, that's really helpful. Uh, but but I want a guy, if I'm going to choose a defensive lineman, I want a guy who's going to get in there and make make some plays on the quarterback. Yeah. So we're going to step into our dynasty rookie rankings. We're going to rank our top five at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. Uh, quarterback's going to be, the first three are going to be very, very similar. Um, I think that me and Tyler both and, and everybody out there is going to have Joe Burrow, Tua, and Justin Herbert. Like I said, this is for dynasty purposes. And I'll let Tyler you know, go ahead and ex- explain his thinking. We, we both have Burrow, Tua, and, and Herbert. I will say that I think Herbert and Tua are a lot closer than people are. I actually would argue that Herbert, Tua, and Burrow are all closer, and that meaning that Herbert, to me, could be the best of the bunch. But I'll let Tyler kind of uh, give you a little background on, on Burrow and Tua before I get to Herbert. Well, I think we've got... <laughs> You know, three very different situations here for for them, you know. And I agree, they definitely could be a lot closer than what we're seeing. And it's for all different reasons they ended up where they are. Burrow coming off of the historic, pretty much one good season that he had in college, and that he rode that into the first pick. Tua pretty much being the consensus number one pick for his entire, entire college career, but just being derailed by injuries. And then Herbert, who had you know a prolific 2017 or whenever 20, 2017 or 18, and then having a couple down years, um, but still being that prototype, um, you know, he's never really had the most elite weapons around him in all, in uh, in college. So you know they all kind of got there different ways, and maybe just their hype is at different points right now. But I definitely think that they have similar ceilings if uh, everything goes right for them. Yeah, uh, for me, though, here's, here's the point that I want to make about Justin Herbert. One, he was incredibly efficient. He has a, a prototype body, six foot six, 240 pounds, and he's incredibly fast uh, for, for a quarterback anyway. Uh, he, he, was, he was a very good runner in college, and that in itself, you know, the 4'6", 40, that in itself is going to add to his floor. Yeah. You take Tua, who who was a runner, sure. Tua had some run. It was a runner was at one just point. Just more evasive than yeah. he is of running quarterback. Right. So so I don't think, and especially with the the most recent injury he's had, 
I think his floor, rushing floor, is a lot lower than Herbert's. Yeah. And Joe Burrow can move. Don't get me wrong. Oh, Joe, Joe Burrow yes, yes. It, it was, is great on his feet. But I see Joe Burrow being a lot like Aaron Rodgers in the way that he uses his legs. Yeah, they don't, they don't want to, but they'll use it to make a play, but not yes. to go get yards. They yes. want to get open and still make a play downfield. Whereas Justin Herbert will go get yards. He will he'll bail his, and just yes. get, get after it. And so I, I think that Justin Herbert, because of his efficiency, because of his, his body type, and because of his, his floor, that he has a chance to be really successful. Add in the fact that he's going to be in an offense that has, in my opinion, more weapons than the Dolphins do. And I don't know how you feel about Devontae Parker, and, and Preston Williams was pretty good, but, but Austin Eckler, uh, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, this is a, an offense with a lot of weapons in yeah. it. They drafted some guys, Josh Kelly, they still have Justin Jackson, Joe Reed's a guy, uh, a little Swiss Army Knife guy that could be used in the future. This team is, is loaded at talent around, around Herbert. Is it as loaded as Joe Burrow is? No, because Cincinnati, in my opinion, and this is why Joe Burrow's the un, undisputed number one. Well, his path to the job. Right, well, his path to the job. And secondly, Joe Burrow in that offense will be good this year. Yeah. That, that offense is good. It's not going to equate to a maybe successful campaign for the Bengals in real life. No. But for fantasy purposes, they should be just fine. Yeah, they're probably, they're probably looking at like a 4-12 and 12, yeah. uh, type season of, you know, 5-13 and 13 or 5-11. Or and 11. But but Joe Burrow has a lot of weapons around him. He has Joe Mixon. He has Gio Bernard. He has A.J. Green. He has T. Higgins, who is fourth on the list of receivers because they have Tyler Boyd, John Ross. Uh, they, they, they're working on Drew Sample at tight end. But Joe Burrow has weapons in Cincinnati. Justin Herbert has weapons in, in L.A. Tua, in my opinion, besides Don, Devontae Parker, you don't have – Mike Jasicki – is not going to be what everybody thinks he's going to be. He's, he's failed multiple times, and Chan Gailey's offense does not focus on tight ends much. So I don't see Tua having the kind of weapons that Herbert and Burrow have. And the more that I talk about it, I'm actually going to go ahead and move Herbert above Tua. I think Herbert is, has the most potential of those two. I think Joe Burrow... Do I think Herbert could be more talented than Joe Burrow? Sure. But Joe Burrow's situation is too good to say he's not the number one fantasy, rookie fantasy option. What's cool about Herbert, too, is you're going to get him probably about five to six rounds later than you're going to get Tua. Yeah. People are taking Tua so, so early for a guy who isn't even medically cleared in yet. Startups. Startup in startups. In startups. In startups, yeah. Um, but it, it's – do I blame you if in a rookie draft you take Tua over Herbert? No. If I need – if I'm – me, I would probably take Herbert over Tua. Well, I mean, you know, I think you're definitely looking at, um, you know, like we've said, the higher floor with Herbert. Um, there's more risk with Tua with his injury and situation. But I think, I mean, Tua's just accuracy, de- decision-making, evasiveness. I mean, he's got a really high upside that's worth taking a shot on. But you're right if you're looking at just a value proposition that um, in a startup, I mean, you know, you, you might want to fill some other spots where you have to take Tua and maybe just take a shot at Herbert later. Okay. What are your bottom two quarterbacks in this? Well, I've got uh, Jordan Love. We'll talk about him. Um, I mean, he's more of a project. Obviously, we saw him uh, throw a ton of interceptions this last year in college, so not the best accuracy, not the best decision-making. He's got a good arm. Um, really, it's more about um, – you know, his, his opportunity. I mean, I know that right now Aaron Rodgers is still there, but we know that Aaron Rodgers 
is uh, kind of a prideful and emotional guy, and I I wouldn't be surprised to see this, uh, you know, have Aaron Rodgers moving on sooner than we think, and I just think just he's a guy that has a path there to get the starting job sooner than some of these other guys. And then I have a guy that uh, does not have a path. <laughs> and uh, it, his only path is really through injury, which is actually a good bet. But Jalen Hurts. Um, I mean, well, I, I, I don't ever condone drafting betting on injury. <laughs> but I do condone this guy. No, um, I don't either. But, I mean, you know, whenever you're getting down here to the fifth guy, I mean, you, you know, we're talking about people that, you know, if you don't have an immediate path, I mean, the longer you just sit around as a backup and don't get the starting job, I mean, you know, the the less likely it is that you're going to end up being the guy. I mean, the, there'll be a new a new face come through the draft, this or that. I mean, you know, before you know it, you sat you sat on the bench for three, four years, and it just turns out, you know, they just don't love you as much as they thought they would. So, but Hurts the guy that I can see sticking around in the NFL for a long time, regardless of if he gets a starting job here with the Eagles at any time or not, and that would only be because Carson Wentz got hurt. Um, but, I mean, he's a winner. He's proven that. He's got leadership, all the intangibles, and he really is a dual-threat court. He might be as balanced of a dual-threat as you can ask for. That doesn't mean that he's an elite passer. He did have some elite passing numbers at Oklahoma this last year. But, I mean, he can literally do 50% of his damage on the ground and 50% of his damage through the air and he's just a really solid dude to have in your locker room, I think. So if he gets a chance, I think that we're not going to be disappointed with what we see. I I think Jalen Hurts is – I love Jalen Hurts as a player. I'm an OU fan, so I love Jalen Hurts. I don't see any kind of path that can lead to Jalen Hurts finding long-term success. So I think he's a valuable asset. I see him as like a Chase Daniel type. Yeah. Uh, I could see him being a guy who's a who's a backup, career backup, plays twelve years in the league, gets a five to eight million dollar salary to just back up people. I could also see him in a Taysom Hill role where they use him, uh, use him in little packages. But I just don't see him being, in in my opinion, just any fantasy successful. I think he's going to get at least one shot in his career, um, and it'll probably be at the end of this contract. Um, if Wentz stays healthy the whole time, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, I think he'll probably get enough action for when Wentz does miss games that he'll generate enough interest to go get a job like Mike Glennon did or whoever. And, um, you know, he'll probably only get the one shot and, uh, we'll see. Well, my, my bottom two quarterbacks, my fourth, fourth and fifth, my fifth is Jordan Love. I, I think Jordan Love, uh, I think there's a lot of question marks with Jordan Love. You, you like his some of his you like his 2018 numbers and you like what he can do with his legs he's not a a runner necessarily but he is he's athletic he is athletic um evasive he could definitely learn from Aaron Rodgers however I don't I just I don't think that Aaron if Aaron Rodgers continues to play at a high level do they let him go I don't know that he's been playing at that he supreme, threw what, supreme he, he of threw a level. Two interceptions last year. Okay. Yes, he has gotten more protective of the ball. They're <laughs> gonna throw it more than they did last year because they went 
nine and one in one score games, so the game script was in favor of them a lot. So they were able to run the ball a lot. So I do think that we're going to see a bigger year from Aaron Rodgers and them drafting Jordan Love will undoubtedly light a fire under his ass because he definitely would have preferred them to take something that helps him out as opposed to try to draft his replacement. So, I mean, I do think we're going to see a good year from Aaron Rodgers, but, I mean, his numbers year over year have pretty much been on the decline. Um, And, I mean, I think it's just, you know, he can wear on people for sure. He, uh... He can um he can get on he can get on people's nerves he can um obviously uh really really wear on a head coach and that's what we've seen happen. Well, I I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to be gone in the next two years, so I don't see a, a a real clear path for Jordan Love. My fourth quarterback though is Jacob Eason. <clears throat> Eason was out of Washington originally, out of Georgia. This was a guy who was a a five star recruit at one point, a really highly touted quarterback coming out of high school, and he's got a load of talent. He's six foot six, two hundred and thirty pounds. His biggest problem was his character issues. At one point this was a late first round guy. Uh where right where around where Jordan Love went, they, that's where Jacob Eason was projected to go and he fell all the way into the fourth round. And it's because they, they felt he was cocky, he was arrogant. And to be quite honest, I, I A, I think those are in in one interview process that is something that could be Misconstrued, misconstrued. Maybe he had a, a, you know, just didn't do well in the interview process in one instance. Yeah, I I think that going to Indianapolis with Frank Reich, a guy who who does really well with quarterbacks, a former quarterback himself, Philip Rivers, Jacoby Brissett, these guys will do a a great job of helping Jacob Eason grow in that character because these are high character guys. Philip Rivers, Jacoby Brissett, Frank Reich, all guys. They're professionals. Yes, and I think that that if Jacob Eason can learn from them in that regard, he has talent to be very good. And Philip Rivers, if he Philip Rivers is on a decline. Yeah. Philip Rivers is facing uh the the end of his career very very soon if he does not if he does not get better next year, Jacoby Brissett will take his job midway through the year. And if, if that's what happens, at the, end of, at the end of the year, Jacob Eason will be the next guy in line. Yeah. So, to me, Jacob Eason has more of a, a pathway to, to, to a chance to start. And I, I think the talent is there. He just uh, he needs to work on some of his, his other areas. We're going to move on now to the wide receiver position. Um, Tyler, I'm going to let you go first. This was a hard one for me. Yeah, I think this is. Uh, I know we've got a few differences in our uh, running back ranks, but this is one where I definitely think we could see a little more variance from you and I. Um, I think right off the bat, just based off talent alone, even though he landed in a place that already had an established number one receiver, is Jerry Judy. Uh, I mean, he's a technician when it comes to running his routes. I mean, we've we've seen him excel at the highest level in college. I mean, he ran a 4.45. I mean, this dude is a stud in every sense of the word. And it, really, it's just going to depend on Drew Locke and if they've got their guy there in Drew Locke, um, whether he can really reach his ceiling here sooner than later. Yeah, I, I got Judy as my second-ranked wide receiver because he is, in my opinion, the most talented receiver in the draft. I think that... He can run a multitude of routes. He's incredibly fast. I, he's a great route runner. I, I just think that 
Judy has a very high ceiling. Where I'm worried about Judy is his floor because of what you just talked about. Uh, I, I hope, and, and I would expect, out of, between Judy and Sutton, Judy is the one to be more likely peppered with targets. Sutton is a little bit more, not one-dimensional, but he doesn't have the same route tree that Judy has. Right. So I, I could see Judy being the one peppered with targets, but I think the the volume is going to be what makes Judy either, hey, I, I'm going to put up, you know, I'm going to have 80, 80 receptions or I'm going to have 30 receptions. I think that we have this big gap between what he is – capable of doing and what he will do, you know, what he's possible, what his possibilities are. So I've got him at number two. My number one is my guy, Michael Pittman Jr. over in Indianapolis. And, and here's why. First, he falls into a situation where he is immediately needed. He is a big play guy. He, the comp for, for Michael Pittman Jr. And I've said this since he got drafted is Mike Williams. Mike Williams did great with Phillip Rivers because he is a big play guy. He can make plays in the end zone, in the red zone, which is something that the the Colts needed. Paris Campbell, T.Y. Hilton, those guys don't fit that role. Zach Paschal doesn't fit that role. Uh, so I think that Pittman automatically has a role in the offense. And then you just got to look at his, his talent and know that <clears throat> he has an opportunity to grow into more than just a, a big play wide receiver. You're looking at a guy who... Who logged the most catches of 20 plus air yards and receiving yards in the Pac-12 last year, um, and and he had the most uh, fourth most yards after catch at, at 716. So that tells me this guy can be used <clears throat> in a multitude of ways. He can be used in the in the short game because he can create after the play. You know, six four, 223 pounds. That means he's great in the red zone. So you're you're looking at a guy to me that his ceiling is is a top five fantasy wide receiver, top 10 in the league fantasy wide receiver, or, fa- or overall talented wide receiver. He's got, he's got the size. He's got the speed. Um, he's got the, the ability to run multiple different, different routes. And he's in an offense that's going to use him. So to me, Michael Pittman is my number one uh, wide receiver in, the, uh, in, the, in, in, in dynasty fantasy football right now. Tyler, who do you got for number two? Number two, and I know I don't even know if you have this guy on your list, um, and it's a shame, but C.D. Lamb. Uh, I think that he's for sure a top five wide receiver this year for rookies. Um, I mean, we saw what Randall Cobb was able to do last year. Um, I think we would agree that you know about eight eight hundred yards or so is going to put you in the top five of rookie receivers. Uh, I think there's plenty to go around, as we've talked about, with the vacated targets. I mean, I think the Cowboys have the second most vacated targets in the league. Um, so I think that Lamb is going to be a utilized guy in year one, even though he's technically the number three receiver. Uh, he's got elite playmaking ability. I mean, if he just gets the ball in his hands, you know that he can take it to the house anytime. any time. Uh, he's quick. He's got a 4-5-40. Um, I mean, he's the guy that I'm real excited. And like I said, I mean, he is the number three, but we saw what – Cobb, a guy on the back half of his career, um, obviously a proven talent, but definitely not with quite the playmaking upside that Lamb has. Even though Cobb can take it to the house anytime, also, but I mean, I, I just think that he's there's there's no way he's not a top five rookie receiver in this first year, even though he's third on the depth chart. You don't you don't you think there's no way that he's not a top five? Yeah, I mean, there's a this year's the the best rookie wide receiver draft we've ever seen since. You know, two thousand was two thousand eleven. Okay. There's there's a, a Denzel Mims. How many Justin how many Jefferson, thousand Jalen Rager. how many thousand yard rookie receivers you think there's gonna be this year? 
two, okay. three, two. Well, how many yards do you think Lamb's going to have? I think he's sitting somewhere in the 600 range. Hmm. Well. I mean, he, he, uh, you talk about Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb only had 828 receiving yards, and that was with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup missing time at different time, at different spots. I mean, Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup both had a lot of receiving yards, even with missing time. So Cobb, just... Cobb was 28 years old. He's not old. Like, it's not like he's some, like, I, I don't see how Lamb's going to outproduce Cobb last year. I'm saying I don't see why he couldn't get 800 receiving yards. Do you, and, and you, you consider that to be, yeah, you, that's you think that. that, you think that'll be enough to pass some of these guys? I mean, this year's in most case, in most years, yeah, I'd say you're absolutely right. This year, there is a ton. Well, of, I would I would have said probably right after the draft that Jalen Rager is going to have more yards than Lamb, but then it turns out that Rager is probably just going to be spending a lot of his time learning, and in obviously that depends on health. I was going to say you're talking you're you're also Alshon Jeffrey won't be back. He will not. There's no way Alshon Jeffrey plays Week One. I'd be willing to put that on anything that Alshon Jeffrey does not play Week One, and Deshaun Jackson. He's 33 and gets hurt all the time. Yeah, he's got tight hamstrings. Man, we're just going to have to see. All right. I, I, I actually have Lamb on the list. I have him at number four. Uh, but I don't <clears throat> – I, I will say I have him at number four because I do think that his floor is close to what Randall Cobb had last year. The problem is I don't see his ceiling being any higher than what Randall Cobb had last year. The couple of the guys who I've moved – I moved Lamb up to number four. I had him at number six on my list. I moved him up to number four because I think he has a higher floor than these other two guys. But the other two guys that I have behind him have a much higher ceiling. The guy that I have above him at number three, I believe, has a higher ceiling and a higher fo- and, and at least the same floor, and that's Justin Jefferson. Uh, he's going to be playing. And, and I had a question about Justin Jefferson because I, I didn't know what the Vikings were going to do with him. If they were going to use him to replace Stephen Diggs, I didn't have as much confidence in him. Because he's not an outside receiver. He's a slot guy. And I think that if he had to spend time learning the outside receiver position, then he probably wouldn't have been as effective. However, if he's going to be used in the slot, you've got a guy with a 4.43 speed, 6 foot 1, 202 pounds. You know who that looks and reminds me a lot of? Chris Godwin. Big, kind of a big slot guy with a lot of speed. <clears throat> Uh, he was he was pretty uh, he was very successful with LSU last year. 109 catches, 18 touchdowns, over 1,500 yards, and it was all out of the slot. Uh, so I if they're going to use him there this year, and and this is Kirk Cousin who has continuously in his career succeeded with running back or with wide receivers in the slot. Jamison Crowder, Adam Thielen. I mean, he is he's done a great job peppering his slot receivers with targets. So I see Justin Jefferson with a high floor and then his ceiling is you know top 20 to top 12 uh fantasy wide receiver. Yeah, I mean I I agree I've got Jefferson on my list here. Um I've got him at number 5. Um like I put I mean I mean slot news is great news for him for sure. Um he is a guy that has a role carved out for him that he can fill right away, you know, with Stefan Diggs leaving. Um He's a guy that, you know, when you look at a guy like Brandon Ayuk um, and his potential, especially with Debo, you know, maybe going to be missing a little bit of time, you know, I look at those two and I think, wow, they've got opportunities here, but then, and they're both in run-heavy offenses, 
But the difference is San Francisco's got George Kittle eating up all that, and they're still going to run the ball a lot. The Vikings are still going to run run the ball a lot, but with the departure of Stephon Diggs, I think that's going to be the difference there. And uh, Jefferson definitely has a lot of potential in this first year. Um, now, a guy that I was considering putting in here, uh, he's he's right around here in the mix, is Ruggs. And we've talked about him being potential for a bust because he was the first receiver taken in the draft. Um, you know, he he's just because on that alone, he's going to be drafted higher than some of these other guys. But, you know, he doesn't really have a ton of established competition for him there. Um, you know, we're just going to have to see if they can really get him the ball because he's a burner. He's going to be needing the ball pushed a little further downfield for him. Um, but, I mean, with four two seven speed, I mean, I, I think that he's a guy that's going to be in the mix here. And another guy that's going to be in the mix here for me is Higgins. I know that he's got a lot to overcome, but I think, you know, whenever you see guys coming to the league together, um, Joe Burrow and Higgins, I mean, I definitely think that there's a chance to have a special bond there and grow. And if he can creep his way up into getting close to having the second most targets there, um, I mean, I think there's, I think there's a chance he can do that this year. And I mean, he, he's got just such a great catch radius. He could really be Kind of a safety valve, and you know we never know with AJ Green how this year's really going to go. So your so your list goes: Judy, Lamb, Rugs, Higgins, Jefferson. Yes, and you're going to hate that I don't have Pittman on there. I don't like it, uh, but I but my my bigger question is with T Higgins. I I, I don't understand. But first off, he doesn't have an immediate role. Yeah. He he's he's easily behind Tyler Boyd in this for the slot role. John Ross and and AJ Green are your outside guys for sure. So I don't see an immediate role, which means he doesn't he doesn't he's not going to be of any use to you this year. Then you look at the future. The Bengals are are projected to probably take another wide receiver next year. Uh, there's a good chance they could fault that Jamar Chase could end up as a Bengal, and that's obviously, in my opinion, I I think they would definitely do that. Um, Jamar Chase is immensely talented, but but again, that's looking at the future. And I, but I still, what I'm saying is, I don't see T. Higgins, I don't see him having a, a significant role. I understand he was a second round pick, but I just don't see where he's going to step into this role at. Yeah, well, I mean, um, this is just me looking at, you know, Boyd's a guy who has gotten only six red zone targets in the past two years. John Ross is a guy who has injury concerns. Uh, obviously, A.J. Green should be on his way out the door. I think there's a lot more question marks in the established guys in front of him than you would think right off the bat. Um, so that's that's kind of my thing. I think that he's going to have more opportunity than we think this year just based off of some of those things. And like I said, I mean, Boyd having only six red zone targets, that's with A.J. Green missing quite a bit of time. So, I mean – Boyd's role is not there, and I just I talked about his catch radius. I mean, T. Higgins. I just think there is going to be a role yeah, that he T. carves Higgins out for himself. Much of it. He's not going to find much red zone work either. I'm just saying that I think that he's going to be able to carve out a role in this offense with Joe Burrow, be it this year or next year, with 
what we've seen from Tyler Boyd, where we think A.J. Green's career is going, even if they draft a guy next year, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, you know, a T. Higgins and whoever they end up drafting um, wide receiver um, core here in the next two years, two, three years. Okay, well, my list is, like, we've got Pittman, we've got Judy, we've got Justin Jefferson. My four is is Lamb, and then my number five, this is where I've had a, I've been going back and forth. It's uh, hard because I think LaVisca could be in there. <laughs> I, I, I do love LaVisca Chenault because of what he's able to do uh, in terms of – but I still got Chenault behind both these guys, and it's Ruggs and Mims. I'm, since you, you took Ruggs, I'm going to let you keep that one. I do think because of his speed and because of his uh, the type of profile that he has, he is – the kind of guy that can have a huge season with multiple big games because of his speed. I don't see that happening because I don't see that Carr and Mariota using him efficiently. I don't see them being uh, deep throw or deep downfield guys where Ruggs uh, succeeds the most. So I, I'm, I guess I lean Denzel Mims in the fifth spot. Um, Denzel Mims was was incredible at Baylor. Uh, caught 186 passes for over 2,900 yards and 28 touchdowns. Uh, he uh, six foot three, 207 with a four three eight forty. The guy is incredibly athletic, great size. He's going to get used in the red zone, and he doesn't have competition unless you're really concerned with Brashard Perryman, and I am not. Uh, Jamison Crowder in the slot's not going to take away from Denzel Mims. He's going to get, you know, they can both coexist. And I think that Sam Darnold, if Sam Darnold is who they think he is, then Denzel Mims is going to be and have a role with this team for a very long time. In any other year, Denzel Mims is probably a first-round wide receiver. Well, this is, uh, this is definitely the year for Darnold to show that. I mean, he's pretty much... He's had his time. I know he's. I know he missed time last year with mono or whatever. But um, I mean, it's about time for him to take a step, and for that uh, offense to stay, take a step too. I mean, I think they only scored about twenty five touchdowns last year. That's really low total. Um, they should rebound from that, given that Sam Darnold did miss time. Um, there is opportunity there for Mims, and Mims is a guy that I definitely like. Um, you know, as we talked about, I mean, this is a, a really loaded wide receiver draft um a lot of guys and a lot of variants i mean we could have there could be any any number of these guys who finish in the top five you know that we don't even get to talk about and uh i mean i I think that it's just a great year for receiver but we do got to get to running back yeah moving on to running backs i think we both would agree that the number one running back in fantasy is the guy going first that is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He is a, a member of my team in our Dynasty League. He's the best pass catcher uh, in He's the best pass catcher in the the draft, and he goes to the team that's going to utilize that more than probably any other team uh, will in the NFL. So I don't think there's any debate over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I guess the only debate would be would you draft him where he's going in drafts? I'm probably not going to end up with him. Um really in any redraft or in any startup probably just because I, I think there is going to be a little bit of a curve to his takeover there just this year but I mean career wise I mean yeah he's he's definitely got huge upside huge potential um I, I mean 
really one of the main things that you want of your running back is to be on a good team, and he's on the defending yeah, Super Bowl I, champs. <laughs> I don't, I don't see myself taking him in any redraft leagues because he's going in the second round. You know, if he were to fall the late third, early fourth, about the time that people are taking Jonathan Taylor, which I think is too early. Where if there if that that's where Clyde Edwards Hilaire was, then yeah, I would probably consider taking him. But in a redraft league, the second round is is really high. In a startup fantasy, I don't hate him in the second round. And and we, me and you have done a couple mock drafts, uh, dynasty mock drafts, and I've gotten him in the second round in both those drafts. And it's typically he's my second running back, and I I feel perfectly comfortable taking him at that spot in a in a dynasty startup. Well, in a dynasty startup, you can take a a shot at a guy like this who maybe has a little bit of a path to get you points to start off because more solid contributors that are older are going to be available later in the draft. So you can go get you, you know, uh, you could probably go get you Mark Ingram and they're probably going to have about the same trajectory just passing each other where Mark Ingram's going to get the bulk of it to begin with and he could lose some down the stretch, but by that time Clyde Rizzolero will be coming on. Or, you know, get a guy like... Uh, Jordan Howard, which is a really easy guy to get that can give you just a little baseline. But, um, yeah, uh, so we agree. Clyde Erdzler, I think we both agree. Jonathan Taylor next? No. no? Oh, man. I, I'm a I'm, I'm a J.K. Dobbins truther here. I think that immediate value is not going to be all that different. I don't think Jonathan Taylor has this – I don't know where everybody gets that Marlon Mack is just not going to be used. They've already said they're going to do a 1-1 punch there. And Marlon Mack – yeah, he wasn't outstanding, but he wasn't bad. This isn't like a guy who who was averaging, you know, 3.9 yards per carry. He's a career 4.4 yards per carry guy. Uh 4.7, you know, 2 years ago, 4.4 last year. Um so I, I I don't see Taylor having a lot more carries than Dobbins in year 1 and going forward. Yes, they both have great offensive lines, but if I want a running back I want J.K. Dobbins. He can, he's a better pass catcher. He had at least twenty receptions, at least twenty-two receptions each year of his career. He is a a great runner between the tackles and in the in the zone running plays that they're going to use in Baltimore. Uh, I, I I if I want a running back, I want one that at least has the opportunity to catch passes. Jonathan Taylor does not have that, so to me, that's what gives him Dobbins the edge. And and Dobbins, you want if if we're talking fantasy positions that you want. You talked about you want your running back in, in a great offense. Well, you also want your running back in the best rushing offense in the NFL, and that's Baltimore. And so I'll take J.K. Dobbins in that role over Jonathan Taylor. I'll let you talk about Jonathan Taylor, and then I'm going to get to why I barely have him at number three. <laughs> um, well, I think that he's the best just pure runner in this group, and obviously we talked about he doesn't have really any receiving prowess. Uh, that's going to be Naeem Hines. Um, Jonathan Taylor doesn't really even have, not even going to have a bid for that um, type of work. Um, he does have a lot of wear already is another thing that you got to think about. And that's, I agree, this year he doesn't have that high of a ceiling because they're probably just going to ride Marlon Mack, put, put plenty of touches on him, let Jonathan Taylor, you know, kind of get a little down year from all of his usage at Wisconsin, and uh, I, I just think that behind that offensive line, um, he's going to have so much room to run whenever he finally does get loose, and I just think that he's – we've seen 
now I don't I don't know I don't know how many I haven't really thought about how many potential targets he could get because it's not going to be zero, but you know he's not really going to catch anything at all. But we've seen Zeke be one of the few running backs to turn in you know top three, top five seasons with little receiving work. But obviously we've seen him be even better whenever he does get receiving work. But in his first year or two, he wasn't getting a ton of looks. Um, but Jonathan Taylor won't even sniff those looks that he did. But I just think that you know we could see a more Derrick Henry-esque year out of him in the future where it's just pure just beat you down with the run and I'm going to score some touchdowns. And I've got Dobbins at three. I agree. I think that he does find a way to at least end up in a 50-50 with Mark Ingram before the year's end. And he's just going to prove that he's the better back at this point in their career. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's good to be on the best, best offenses and it's good to be in the best rushing offense. In the last 10 years, here's my, my argument against, against Jonathan Taylor. In the last 10 years, there has not been a single running back who finished his college career with over 900 carries and continued to be successful for a prolonged period of time in the NFL. You've had a couple of guys who were somewhat effective for a short amount of time, you could go further back, and, and you might find some guys in the early 90s and when the game was different, let me put it that way. Uh, that's why I used the sample size of the last 10 years. you got guys like Royce Freeman, Miles Gaskin. Um, not very many that, I, that have been at all relevant in fantasy football or in the NFL in general. Because once you've had that kind of wear and tear on your body through college, it's hard to put that much wear and tear on you again as soon as you start in the NFL. Yeah. And that's why I think they're definitely going to ride out Marlon Mack with most of the touches this year. And right, see which to Taylor me, later. which to me takes away from his immediate impact. Yes, which is where Dob, you know, to me, I rank Dobbins ahead, and where I almost ranked my number four guy ahead of him because I think my number four guy is also going to have more of an immediate impact. But I also think here's here's what I'm going to say. I, I don't doubt Jonathan Taylor's talent. He is a good running back. Yeah. He also had one of the best offensive lines in the NCAA in Wisconsin. He's, but he's going to have that. He's yeah. He's going to have that in Indianapolis. So I, I, I think he's better than Swift. And I think he's better than Acres. I personally, I'm not. I I don't. I don't have Swift. I'll go ahead and say it. I don't have Swift or Acres in my top five. And I know that's against what most people are going to believe. I would be. I would. I would allow you to argue either of those for my fifth spot. I don't think either of them are better than the guy in my fourth spot. And I I think the guy in my fourth spot could probably be better. Than Jonathan Taylor. Um, that guy is Zach Moss. Zach Moss, running back at Utah, highest rated guy coming up by PFF coming into the, the draft. Mm-hmm. He's in a situation where, I mean, he's he's filling the Frank Gore role. Frank Gore had 166 carries last year, and he didn't even play in every game. So, to me, Zach Moss will probably hit the 200 carry mark or close to the 200 carry. 180 looks like the most reasonable. He's going to get the goal line work over over Devin Singletary. He's he is capable of catching passes, so he's not going to completely be removed from the passing game. They're in an offense that runs the ball a lot and successfully. So to me, Zach Moss, I I wouldn't be shocked if Zach Moss finishes above anybody in this in this draft, simply because of opportunity, talent, um, and and the type of 
leash he's going to have compared to Jonathan Taylor in year one. Yep. Um, another thing to point out about Jonathan Taylor, he fumbled the ball 19 times in his career. He dropped 8 of 50 career passing, passing uh, catchable passes in his career. I mean, we've talked about how many more rushes he's had in his career. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I mean, just... I mean, it's that just... 19 but, is still an alarming it's, it's number. Lot. It's a lot. Um, yeah, we're running out of time. Um, but, yes, Zach Moss does have an immediate role to fill. I just think that I'm looking at upside here and I I will agree that Swift makes me wary um you know I just I think Moss's upside is capped by Devin Singletary being there Josh Allen's gonna rush the ball enough himself uh I do think he's a solid guy who's gonna contribute now and has a safe play um Swift just such an elite type guy on all three downs carry on still there for the next year or two um I'm wary of the Lions' backfield because we really haven't seen a good running back there since Barry Sanders. Sanders. So it's hard to believe that they're really going to make that happen. But you can't doubt the talent, uh, four four eight speed. Um, he's great. We said this, but we said this about Carryon Johnson two years ago. Yeah, the well, Lions' Johnson's been hurt, but the Lions' offense, the Lions, the Lions just don't have. I remember standing on a hill. And screaming that Carryon Johnson would be the first thousand yard yard rusher that the Lions have seen in years, and I was I we continuously are wrong. <laughs> Joyke Bell, uh, Reggie Bush, Love Kevin that. Smith. I mean, all these different guys who we thought are going to do it in in Detroit, and they haven't. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm worried about him. Uh, he's got great talent, and I think that you know they put it together. He's got really high ceiling. My last guy, Cam Akers, guy that I own, four four seven speed. Yak monster, um, um, yards after contact. Anyway, not yards after catch. Um, three down back. I there's a big hole to fill there with Gurley gone. I don't think he's going to take very long to cement himself as the leader of touches in that backfield. Though Henderson and Brown will still likely be See, I somewhat don't, of a hindrance. I don't think McVeigh is going to do what he did with Gurley. I just don't see him doing that with Acres, and so I, I for my fifth. Well, you're spot, not going to put a worse guy on the field if Acres really does what we think he can do, and that's succeed with getting hit early. Yeah. Um, and so I think that he's just going to be better at that. And so, sure, you can want to share the load all you want, but I think that at the end of the day, they're going to want the better guy on the field, and that's what. I well, think. and that's what you know. My fifth, my fifth spot is Josh Kelly. Um, Justin Jackson, Austin Eckler, and to your point, they're going to want the better guy on the field. Well, yeah, Justin Jackson has looked good at times uh, in his his short career, seventh-round pick at a Northwestern, but Josh Kelly, to me, is more talented than Justin Jackson. They would not have drafted Josh Kelly if they felt that Justin Jackson was that that talented. And Eckler doesn't – he's never handled a full workload of rushing the ball. And he's not going to. He's going – so what what, what has essentially happened to me is they have drafted Josh Kelly to fill in – the Melvin Gordon role, but just flip-flopped Eckler and Melvin Gordon. Eckler will get more carries, more more touches in the passing game. Josh Kelly will get 10 to 15 rushes a game. And that's a valuable, as we've seen, a valuable part in the NFL uh, for fantasy football is that, that number two spot in San Diego. So uh, that about wraps us up. I guess, Tyler, give me one tight end that you're looking at. and uh, uh, Well, Troutman, I think. Uh, I mean, you know, Jared Cook. Time there is probably coming to an end. Troutman is one of the higher rated uh, tight ends he got. I think there's a really as close to an immediate path to usage as you can get. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think Troutman's the best option. Uh, you could look at Cole Komet, but but I have to agree with Tyler here. Troutman's the way to go if you're looking for a rookie court, a rookie tight end to stash in dynasty leagues. So, um, yeah, Tyler, good to see you again. Uh, sorry guys, we got here a little bit late on a Thursday this week. We'll be, we will we will be back on Tuesday. Uh, be sure to message us with any mailbag questions you might want us to answer. Uh, other than that, happy fourth, happy fourth, guys. Go Merca.